Molly was actually walking past me and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, excuse me. And I was, well, I'm five, seven. So Molly's like six, two, maybe. So, you know, I'm a little short, skinny Puerto Rican kid. And, and I tap him on the shoulder and he's like, hey, what's up? I said, hey, how you doing? Had my head down, like didn't want to look him in the face. Like, hey, my name is Domingo and this is my demo tape. You know, if you like it, you know, I appreciate it. But thank you for letting me give it to you. And he went, no doubt, shorty, I got you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Break Podcast, where we explore the stories of the unsung heroes in the music business who operate largely behind the scenes, writing and producing the music that we all love. I'm your host, Anthony Bruno of Royalty Exchange, and today we speak with Domingo, one of the most prominent hip-hop producers to ever come from East New York, Brooklyn. He has produced for some of hip-hop's most respected and well-known artists such as Big Pun, Fat Joe, KRS-One, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, and many more. Now, I'm a huge fan of old-school East Coast hip-hop, so personally, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Domingo is about as authentic as they come, and his story carries true weight for anyone in this business today. Now, we discussed a range of topics, but what really stood out for me was the emphasis on uh, mentorship. He goes into great detail about his mentor, the legendary DJ Marley Mall, and how that relationship really groomed his career and craft where it is today. Um, not unexpectedly, Domingo is now a mentor to other aspiring artists himself, so his insights about taking that experience full circle as a mentor is, I think, the highlight of this interview. So um, I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. With that, let's get started with Domingo. Hello, Domingo. How are you doing today? I'm all right, man. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing well. Where, where, are, you, uh, where are you calling in from? Well, I, I'm originally from Brooklyn, but I live out in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. Nice. How, that must be very beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I got my bears, deers, coyotes, uh, I don't know, you name it, there's, there's, they're out here. You know, <laughs> I, I'm out here in Denver, Colorado, and it's not oh. often I get a chance to talk to someone who's got more connection to, to nature than I do at the moment, so I think that's pretty you cool. You got grizzlies out there, though, right? <laughs> well, no, not grizzlies. Not no? just further up north. Well, we have, oh, okay. we have our black bears, but, uh, okay. you know, not, 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 not roaming through the suburbs of Denver at the moment, anyway. Uh, we'll see how the wildfires, you know, encroach <laughs> our habitat at, later on. Denver's know, a nice city, too. I've been there. Oh, nice, nice. So, uh, I, I usually, this is how I've been asking everyone this lately, and, um, you know, how you've been handling the whole, you know, stay at home. Have you been, have you been locked up? Have you been able to, to work? Like, what's been, how's all this been, been affecting you? Um, in the beginning, it was, it was, it was a, uh, a test of time and patience. Because, you know, in the industry I'm in and, you know, you know, the music industry, you got to keep moving with technology and moving around, meet people, network, this and that. So, but, um, it, I, ha- I mean, I handled it perfectly fine, but, um, business didn't slow down, you know, because, um, you know, one of the businesses I own is just online. So it keeps generating, running, doing what it has to do, um. Unfortunately, I had five childhood friends that died from uh, coronavirus. Oh, so, I am so sorry. Appreciate that. So, I, it's real as day that that proved it to me. Um, and you know, I basically stood away from people, you know, because a like people out here, and I don't want to preach the whole mask, you know, thing, yeah. but it's the truth. You know, people out here at first weren't doing it, and now they're doing it. And believe it or not, in my area, we had like three cases in the last month. So, so we're okay, but I mean, I, I would go to the grocery store and, and literally pull up and I would 
if I seen a hundred cars in the parking lot, I'd pull away, yeah. and and I would go to like the little Indian man's market over the mountain in the valley where nobody's there, and I run in and run out, boom, and leave. So, you know, there was paranoia to it because nobody wants to catch that. And but other than that, I handled it pretty well. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear how people are able to continue. Uh, you know, working, we're, we're living a pretty digital virtual age. There's a lot of online tools that allow you to keep, yes. uh, keep yourself running and whatnot. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you've been adjusting well. Yes. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit and go to uh, take the way back machine, as it were. So as you know, we like to talk about how people <laughs> got into this business and how they got successful and whatnot. So um, you mentioned you're originally from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Why don't you yes. tell me a little bit, like, how did you – I always ask this question different ways, but uh, I'll ask it this way this time. Um, I, I'm always curious about how you first, like, got exposed to and interested in music and then through that process of – I believe everyone first starts to – uh, connect with music on more of an appreciation level and then mm-hmm. at some point they evolve to more of like a creation level some people like they yes. actually want to create the music and then there's a third step which is actually making it a career and that and that's that that uh that funnel gets narrower as you go down the, the path there a little bit right so watch this first time just you know your, your your first exposure to music and then when you decided to start actually trying to make music yourself well um I was first exposed to music through my uncle. My uncle, uh, he was a DJ in um, in Brooklyn, um, and he uh, he would DJ this lounge, and it was called the Arlington. So he would DJ this lounge every Friday, Thursday, Friday, and I was man, I was seven years old, and he would take me just to hang out. And I would be amazed at watching people dance. And so then in my house, um, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, which was one of the roughest neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And so, you know, I was in the house a lot as a kid. Um, So he had a setup in the basement that he would go downstairs, DJ, play drums and, you know, just hang out with his friends or whatever. And I would come downstairs and listen. And the first hip-hop record that i heard him play was king tim the third the second i heard him play was sugar hill gang rapper's delight when i heard rapper's delight i was like i want to rap i was only like i mean i must have been like nine years old maybe 10 maybe but i got fascinated with music nonetheless and at about 12 years old i decided that i wanted to be a dj and you know my mother looked at me like I was crazy, but you know, there's an old saying if mom says no, go ask grandma. So I went and asked grandma. <laughs> and grandma bought me two turntables and a mixer from Radio Shack. So I bought two Gemini turntables uh, and a Radio Shack mixer. And I started DJing. And then by the time I was like, I say 13, 14, I was doing little parties. I was DJing little parties in the area, like amongst friends, whatever. Got known for that. And then something clicked where I said, I want to try to be a rapper. And so I went into that. And um, I used to do uh, and just, just to, oh, yeah. yeah, Just to interject here, like people don't know, you and I are from the same era of time. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. okay, cool. And cool. so, like, and so cool. I don't think people realize that like, this, this, this progression that, that took place then, which was like, 
the idea of you know the DJ first getting on the turntables and, and, and mixing the music and whatnot, right. and then the idea of like rapping over that. What you're what you're talking about right when all that was just starting to get sort of figured out. Right. Yes. So so it's like I said, it was a fascination, and then and then a a question mark in my head, like, well, what what about if I could rap? So. I got two tape decks, put them back to back, and one, uh, you know, it was like one would play the beat, the other one I had this little microphone plugged in, and actually it was three tape decks. <clears throat> one would record the beat, the beat, I don't know, it was just jacked together where I could record the vocals through one, the beat would play through the other, but they all would record onto one tape deck. This is before I ever knew there was a such thing as a four track. Yeah, I mean, you had to figure all this out for yourself. There's no YouTube guide on how to be a rapper no, back then, man. You're just having no to get there and sorting it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, and I was the type of kid. My my friends growing up, my best friend James, he used to call me MacGyver because I would, <laughs> you know, like like if if he had yeah. to fix his, I don't know, if he had to fix his bike, I'd be like, get a rubber band, and we fix it with a rubber band. <laughs> so, you know, I was always known as, around my friends to figure it out. So, yeah, hence I figured it out. And then I realized, well, there's these things called four tracks. And again, went to my mother and was like, hey, you know, there's this four track that I want. And she was like, yeah, you're crazy, whatever. So, went to grandma. Grandma bought me a four track. <laughs> so, that four track burnt out in approximately two days because I didn't know. Back then, the way they made them, you couldn't plug a mono jack into a stereo plug because you would burn out the headphone input. So I broke that, and then, <laughs> uh, of course, you know, couldn't get another one. But what I did was my mother would give me $5 a day for lunch for school. So what I did for a, a, quite a while was I put the five dollars in my top drawer every single day, and every single day I would eat whatever the school was serving, garbage or whatever it was. I would eat it, and so it got to a point where I saved up. It was like maybe four hundred dollars, and I told my grandmother, "There's a store called Sam Ash." Like I was really doing my research. I was like, "There's a song, this store called Sam Ash that uh, my friend told me about that they sell four tracks. Can you take me over there?" My grandmother drove me over there. I didn't have enough money. She put the rest of the money, and boom, I got another four-track. So amongst that, I did all the demos and demos and demos. And and my friends, I battled people in the, the, the neighborhood. And my friends were like, oh, my God, you're good, even though I thought I sucked. But um, so lo and behold, there's Molly Mall. Uh, I used to listen to the In Control volume. I mean, the In Control show on WBLS with Mr. Magic and Molly Mall. And I was approximately 16. And I was down down my block with my one of my good friends. His name is Junior. And we were hanging out in front of his house. We were drinking a 40 of beer at 16, yes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that's what you did in my neighborhood, you know? I get it. I get it. So, so um, Molly came on the air and said, I'm doing... In Control Volume 2, which was a compilation album, uh, a follow-up to a compilation album we put out called In Control Volume 1, which the uh, the classic uh, Juice Crew song, The Symphony, came from. So he said, I'm doing Volume 2. I'm looking for new artists. You know, if you think you hot, you know, you know, this is, you know, how you submit the tape, blah, blah, blah. My friend Junior looks at me and he goes, bro, that's you. 
And I went, nah, that's not me. And he's like, Domingo, you could do it. I know you can. And I said, nah, I'm not good enough. And he's like, yes, you are. So he goes in his house. He didn't have a driver's license, but he knew how to drive. (laughs) Went and got got his father's keys and said, let's go. I'm taking you up to BLS. Where's your tape? I said, you serious? He goes, bro, get in the car. I mean, am I allowed to curse on this? Yes, you absolutely Okay. Are. Uh, so he said, get in the car. I'm fucking taking you up there, man. This, this is your fucking chance, and you're doing it. I'm going to make you do it. And I said, all right, cool. We went. We pull up in front of um, WBLS in Manhattan on 42nd and 2nd. And I'm waiting outside. Out comes Marley Mall after his show. There's, there's a gang of people outside. But I was a shy kid, so I was off to the right. And, and Marley was talking with them, and he's walking away. He's walking past me. And my friend Junior's like, not kicking me, hitting me on my arm. Like, yo, what are you waiting for? Talk to him. So I tap him on the shoulder, and I always, and I've said this numerous times, I've always compared it to the Mean Joe Green Coca, <laughs> Coca-Cola commercial. Yes, yes, the classic. Yes. So, so because what happened was Marley was actually walking past me. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, excuse me. And I was, well, I'm 5'7", so Molly's like 6'2", maybe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a little short, skinny Puerto Rican kid. And, and I tap him on the shoulder and he's like, hey, what's up? I said, hey, how you doing? Had my head down, like didn't want to look him in the face. Like, yeah. hey, my name is Domingo and this is my demo tape. You know, if you like it, you know, I appreciate it. But thank you for letting me give it to you. And he went, no doubt, shorty. I got you. I was like, appreciate <laughs> it. So so as I'm talking to him, LL Cool J pulled up in his Jaguar. Yeah, I swear to God. Yeah. LL Cool J pulled up in his Jaguar because that's when they was working, they was working together. So uh-huh. I was an LL Cool J crazy fan. So yeah. I'm like, oh shit, that's LL Cool J. So he comes up to Molly. He's like, everything good, Molly, this and that. And I'm looking at him. And Molly said, yeah, I'm just over here talking to Shorty right here, giving me his demo tape, whatever. And 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 uh, I just turned around and walked away. Didn't say nothing to LL, but I was like, damn, that's LL Cool J, you know? <laughs> so anyway, a couple weeks go by. I'm playing a wiffle ball on my block. And my grandmother, you know, back then it was yelled down the block. There was no cell phones. There was no, right. you know, my grandma was like, hey, you got a phone call? So I come up the block. I get on, I get on the phone. It's a lady named Francesca Spiro and she's like is this Domingo and I said yeah and she goes hi my name is Francesca Spiro I manage Molly Mall and I'm thinking it's one of my friends playing a joke on me or whatever I'm like yeah right and she goes no seriously my name is Francesca I manage Molly Mall you gave Molly a demo tape uh is it possible you come to my office on Lafayette Street in Manhattan and I was like yeah right and she's like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> so so I tell my grandma, I said, can you give me money for the train? This lady wants me to come down there. So I go down to Lafayette Street. <clears throat> I walk in the, and I actually have a, a nice video interview. She's She passed away like three years ago. Mm. So, But I have a, a like a, one of the last video interviews I did with her detailing this. So... I walk in the office and she looks at me and she goes, so you're the Puerto Rican kid Molly is screaming about. (laughs) I was like, yeah, right. (laughs) And she's like, Domingo, Molly had me track you down. 
he wants to sign you to be on In Control Volume 2. And I was like, I still didn't believe it. I was right. like, no way. Because, you know, as a kid, and, and, you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand, like, if I'm not saying you don't, but, like, growing up in my neighborhood, if, uh, if you're familiar with Jay Rudder Damager, he coined my neighborhood Homicide Central because my neighborhood, if you came out that neighborhood alive, you survived. Okay. That's just how that neighborhood was. Okay. So, and, and, and my best friend got killed. So it's like, I'm a, I'm a survivor. I put it like yeah. that. So, so for me to be 16, not the most innocent person in the world, I was doing a lot of crazy shit that I shouldn't have been doing. Right. Um, and she's like, yes, yeah, so he wants to sign you. And Molly gets on the phone. She calls him. He's like, yo. I said, what's up? He goes, yo, man. <laughs> them songs was dope. I need you, man. I want you on the album. And I'm like, okay. So to this day, I have the cassette I gave Molly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so the, like, like, yeah, no, did, did you have like your contact information on the cassette? Like you said, he tracked yeah. you down. Was it? Yeah, okay. yeah, she did. I, she, I, I, I'm sorry, I did have my contact information on the tape, but I didn't have my address. Nothing like she. Sure, sure. She looked up. You know, back then you look up the white pages, and you know, right. my grandmother's house numbers there, whatever. So, but um, so Molly's like, "Yo, I want to sign you," and I'm not even gonna lie to you. They pulled the contract. I mean, she pulled the contract out and said, here, get a lawyer to look at it. I was like, give me that. And just yeah. signed, and I signed it. I signed right. it. And I walked out of there with a check for like $1,500. Oh, man. That's so, like a lot of money for a kid. Yeah. From where 16, you are back then. 16, I was rich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so we, we go in the studio. We re-record the song on, on, you know, professionally done. And so I kept giving Molly demos in the process of being with him. And Molly always said this to me. He was like, yo, these beats are really dope. But he never said nothing about the rapping. Mm -hmm. So me being the, uh, as I could say, uh, underconfident, if that's a word, underconfident person, mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute. He's not saying nothing about the rapping, but he keeps saying these beats are really dope. So then... I said, okay, well, I'm become a producer. Maybe I'm not a rapper. So, now did you ever actually have like that conversation with him? You're like, hey, man, is my is my rapping not good? Should I focus on just the just the producing? It, it, it wasn't that, that no, clear. It, it was more like I got the hint. Okay, no, I get you. I get you. I yeah. get you. Because Molly, let me tell you something, man. Uh, Molly Mall. I mean, I thank him to this day. Like, we could be on a phone call, like, his birthday passed recently, and I called him and said, yo, happy birthday. And he's like, yo, thanks. And I said, thank you. He's like, yo, shut up, man. Stop saying that. <laughs> he's like, Domingo, it's 34 years later, and you're still thanking me. I'm like, because you don't understand. Like, you put me on. Like, I don't, I'm grateful forever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so like I said, he kept saying his beats, beats. Then I had the conversation with Francesca because she managed him. And I said, listen, I want to try to do producing. She's like, okay. And she used to call me Boo. I don't know why. She's like, look, Boo, you could do whatever you want. And she was a short Italian lady. Like, you would never. She's the one that put Puffy in the game. Really? It, was, it wasn't Andre Harrell. It was Francesca Spiro who put Puffy in the music industry. 
So, so I'll say that on record. So, um, she's very well known. If you look her up, Francesca Spiro, she was, she was considered the hip hop mother. So, um, and she managed me for many, many years. So, um, Molly called me one day. He was working on tragedy, uh, this artist tragedy's album. And he said to me, yo, you know, that demo you gave me with that cliff nobles, the horse record sample that you used. I said, yeah. He said, you still got that record, the 45. And I said, yeah. He said, do me a favor, jump in the cab, meet me at Chung King studios and bring that record with you. So that was the beginning of my producing career because I actually sat in the studio with him and helped him concoct that, that remix. And I gave him the record and I will admit he paid me lovely for, you know, for my age. He, uh, he gave me a nice little amount of money. That's, that's not so th- there's a couple of things I want to dig in. This, this raised yeah. a lot of ideas for me. This is a great story. And what I really love about it is the, the, the era difference, right? So, you know, I've talked with a few folks who their, 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 uh, origin stories as you were, were a little bit more recent. And, and what's funny about this is that, right. Like I'll talk to guys today and, and I always find this amazing that they said that, you know, some, you know, famous, you know, artist would uh, put out a note on say Twitter or something like that. Say, Hey man, send me your beats. And if I like it, I'll use it. And some kid right. did that and it got, and it got accepted. He's like, yeah, that was it. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, you know, people that are just randomly sending out their beats to artists from on Twitter seems kind of like a desperate move, but sometimes it works. Right. But here we are 35 years, right. Before this, you know, there's no Twitter. This, there's Marley Marl. Yep, talking over the radio, saying, "Hey, come send me your stuff. Yeah. I'll see if I like." And the same shit happens. Yeah, right? like it's it's just it just it blows me away. It, it absolutely yeah. blows me away. Uh, so that's really cool. But actually, the thing I wanted to talk about a little bit more was right. this sort of. Uh, tell me if I'm using the wrong word here, but it seems like you know Marley Marl not just give you your break, but he kind of mentored you a little bit oh, into yes. the business, right? Yes. Yes. So can we did. talk about mentorship a little bit? Because I don't think that's something that's discussed very much these days. No, I, I think I think mentorship is a thing that needs to be done in, in, in music because there's a lot of artists that come in the game and have no idea how the business works. So they need that type of guidance. And, and Molly gave me that type of guidance. And actually Francesca Spiro gave me the business guidance. Like, so here I'm in the studio with him, but I'm in, uh, I'm in Def Jam rush offices with her because that's where she managed out of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned the business side. So mentorship is very important. And and believe it or not, like if you um if you ever like pay attention to my Facebook page, I I do put a lot of knowledge out there to people, like letting them know how certain things go in the game. And you know, some people reply back like, and I don't want to sound disrespectful, but they reply back like they know what they're talking about. But you know, if you if you I feel if you try to mentor people you get a better outcome in your music in the business side of it and the music side of it. But it's definitely a loss. If you want to consider it an art, the art of mentorship is definitely a lost art in this game because there's a lot of know-it-alls out there that don't know nothing. <laughs> right. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? it's funny. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, and I think it's on both sides, right? Like, yes. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that want to be perceived as a mentor. I want to be a mentor who probably aren't quite ready to play that right. role. Right. Right. Those who, Probably those who want to be the mentor the most are probably the ones that you want as your mentor the least, usually, right? Absolutely. It's about them, not about you. But right. on the other side, 
as the kids coming up, like, you know, not to sound like the, you know, the crusty old guy here or anything like right. that, but it sounds like, you know, Hey, I got a hundred thousand Twitter followers. What do I need a mentor for? And, and it's like, that doesn't no, mean you, shit when it you're comes 100%, to the music business. You're hundred percent correct. You're hundred I, I Listen, I had a kid, right? Send me his demo. Said, what do you, you know, I really, listen, OG, you know what he called me. He was like, listen, I would love for your advice. I want you to, and I'm, I don't sugarcoat nothing. If you ask me and I don't think it sound good, I'm be like, look, you could do better here. You could do better there. I'm giving you mentorship if you think about it. So after I told him, you know, it sounds like, and you know, you got to understand, dude, if you look at my discography, I've worked with all the legends. So you can't tell me how you're supposed to sound rapping, <laughs> you know? Right. So, so if I go, look, you're a little bit ahead of the beat. You should maybe fall back in pocket and then lay back. I said, because all the, I even told, this is my exact words to the kid. I said, Eminem is always behind the beat if you pay attention to him. I said, as a producer, that's my job to pay attention to what's going on on the song. I said, if you pay attention to Eminem, he's really riding the beat a certain way, but he's in pocket with it, but he's behind it. He's like laying in it. And the kid went, you don't know what the fuck you talking about. <laughs> and I went, okay, so why'd you ask me? He goes, you know what? I'm, in, I'm not even going to say it because if he hears this, he'll know I'm talking about him. He, he was like, I'm on this corner in this project, and if you want to you wanna fight, come fight. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with yeah. you. Yeah. Because if you can't take criticism or, or, or constructive criticism, you're in the wrong game completely. Because let me tell you, man, I've been rejected more times than accepted in music, you know? So mm -hmm. that comes with the territory. And because a kid has a hundred thousand possible followers, because there's so many people buying followers lately that they think they know everything, but they right. don't. There's a saying that I always uh, adhere to, which is the uh, criticism is a gift. Yes. Right, and I, I'm not a I'm not a music creator, you know. But I've been a writer, a uh, reporter. Right. I, I've had I've had editors just slay me, slay me. Well, mm -hmm. just I turn something I'm all proud of, and they'll just tear it apart. And yeah, it hurts. And then at first you get a little defensive, you know. And I got the Italian thing going on, so I'll kind of push back <laughs> and all that, right? But you know how it is. But mm -hmm. like after a while, once you shut up, you realize like, okay, you know, actually, if you know, if I'm be if I'm really listening, and if I'm really being honest with myself, what they're saying, right. that's they're, they're right. I, I need to make an adjustment, right? And so. It's like that thing where you know you, you don't know like you know when you when you speak. This is a great example because we're recording. You're, you're more more useless than I am, but I right. hear myself speak, and then I listen to myself in the recording, and then I hear myself what I actually sound like, and it's always different than what it sounds like. In oh, your absolutely. Head. Well, that that uh -huh. applies to anything, whether you're writing or your music or whatever. Like you, someone else has to hear it and and reflect that back to you and give you give you that information. That's on the creative side, right? Of mentoring, right. What about like? And, and here's the thing: I don't want to get off that point just yet because okay. Let's talk a little bit about that. You, you've you've had many roles on the creative side. You've been a producer. You put you've put out your own music. You've produced yes. other people's music. What's that like? Like there's there's been that time where you've been the producer for other people's music, but then you've also done a number of your own solo work albums. How do you? How did you? I don't know. Still accept that criticism for others or other people producing you and you were putting out your no. own music. Like how did that? No, work? I I've been self produced and it's all i mean i've done it my own but that okay. was I, that's what i was going to interject with was mm -hmm. man i've gotten beat up by critics mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but you gotta have thick skin i've I, you know what's crazy i've 
Let's, let me not let me not say that, but it, it there is a point, and maybe you can interject in this. Uh-huh. There, there has got to be a point where you you get criticism, and sometimes you feel discouraged, and then you get criticism, and sometimes you're like, man, fuck that, I could do better. But then you think about it that people might just be wanting you to be better, and they're criticizing you for you to be better. So, I, I, in albums that I put out, like Domingo albums. Yeah, I've gotten beat up about them, you know. But with artists that I produce, like a Rakim or a Koji Rap or a Big Pun, I get praised. So it's a catch twenty two with me. So I'm yet to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things where, like I said, uh, I try to relate to what I can from my end as as a, as a writer. Where like i feel like i'm i'm i think i'm i'm sort of like you in the sense that i'm think i'm a better editor than i am an original writer like i, I write a lot of stories like i used to write for billboard magazine in fact oh, nice. I, just just as a side i actually interviewed marley mall once nice uh, for, for some digital crate digging service he was oh involved. yeah yeah okay the name of it, but that track was, was it track that, something like that it was this is right. my my brain's gone i'm 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 you know I'm getting too old and I can't remember the details anymore about anything. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, but when I edit stuff, I feel like I do a better job with that. So I have to sort of be honest with myself about where my, where my skills might be. And what you said, I thought was really interesting when you said thick skin, because thick mm-hmm. skin doesn't mean ignore the criticism. No, right? not at all. It means accept it without taking it personally. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. That's what it means. It means, you know, you got to have thick skin where, there's people that's going to like your music. There's people that's going to be like, okay with it. There's people that's going to fucking hate you. You know? I mean, I know people that hate Eminem uh, musically because they can't hate him personally. You don't know them personal, so why would you hate him personally? But they talk like they hate him, like they want to kill him. And it's like, dude, like, don't take it that serious. <laughs> and, you know? And, yeah. and But Eminem has to endure a lot of that shit more than I do because he got millions of fans. Mm-hmm. You know? But... You know, you just got to learn to take it on the chin and, and keep it moving, you know? And what about, I mean, you've, we can go through the laundry list of everyone that you've produced for, but they're, cause they've all, they're all the big names of from, you know, the era that I particularly right. liked about hip hop. I'm not going to diss on hip hop today, but like, I, I prefer the, the, you know, Absolutely. the original old school with the K kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of hip hop. Right? Like you mentioned Rock'em, like, I mean, holy shit, like we talk about one of probably one of the best MCs of yeah. all time, right? Like, yes. holy shit. Yes. Right? So, um, but anyway, like how you've been, you've been the mentor, but as you're the producer and as you're working with these artists, I got to imagine that there's some, that's, that you're something that you're learning from them as well as you go through it. Well, yeah, yeah like interest uh, with me, it was like learning interesting facts with them. Like for instance, rock him, right? He says, I write my rhymes in graffiti every time you see me. Deep concentration, because I'm no comedian. Well, I fucked the words up a little, but that's what he yeah. says. Yeah. So when I got into the studio with him in 1994, and he pulled out his book, it was written in graffiti. That's amazing. So I was like, oh, shit, he really writes his rhymes in graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, the crazy yeah. thing is, right, is that, I'm more of a, I mean, if you knew me personally, I'm a very laid back person. Uh, I don't, I don't really do the industry schmoozing stuff like rubbing elbows. I don't go to functions. Like I'm just not into that. So Rakim is the same way. So me and him clicked immediately and we've been friends to this day. To this day, we're still good friends. But a lot of artists that I've worked with, like Fat Joe, 
well, pun is no longer here, but I had good rela- I have good relationships with every artist that I've ever dealt with because I was able to take the criticism that they were saying about the music. If like Fence and Rock him said, "Yo, that beat at that point, you know, I hear this, and you know, maybe you should do that." I never was like a, a stubborn kid, like, "No, it's my beat. You can't tell me what to do." Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mm-hmm. take the criticism because the, here I'm dealing with these are dudes that are the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. You know, so mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta take it from them, and even even now, if I mean, I don't really, I couldn't really tell you. Who's the Mount Rushmore hip hop for now? Because I don't really think there is one, and there will never be one. But these kids got to learn to take take what comes to them, adjust to it, and respect what's being told to you. Yeah, it's a collaborative process, right? Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But what about? So this is where I want to switch. So, like, what about on the business side? Like, let's stick with mentoring here for a little bit because I think okay. that's where we're on a good thread here. But like. Yes, you get the mentors who kind of criticize, you know, that help you collaborate on your music and develop your sound and things like that. But there's also, as we know, the, the biz side of things. Yep. And, um, I, you know, we, I've got a few specific questions I'll ask you in a minute, but I want to kind of okay. open it up to you for now, which is, you know, was there in, in your being mentored by Marley Mall and the others and Ms. Spiro and things like that, you know, was there any particular lessons that you learned early on that you thought maybe helped you, helped you remain, um, constant helped your longevity in in the business oh yeah definitely um it's a don't burn no bridges Mm. and um if you if you stay true to what you believe in as far as you know not just production but in business you know and you do everything fair that everything will come back to you fair so like you know, like I, like I said, Marley was more in the production, and, and and I mean to be honest, not to take away from Marley, he never he never taught me how to make beats. Like I learned that on my own. Mm-hmm. The only thing Marley showed me was like in studio stuff, SSL board and stuff like that. But Marley also taught me a, you know, learn how to deal with artists because artists are very tricky to deal with. You know, some of them are very easygoing. Some of them have an ego. Good amount of them have an ego. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have. You kind of have to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and not to have an ego. Like, if you meet a lot of people that tell me, I mean, that they tell me I'm the most humble person they run into, because I don't go around saying, "Hey, I'm Domingo," and you know, you got to do this for me. I don't get down like that. But as far as um, the business end, you know, again, Francesca Spiro was more of the business end where I learned how to deal with a lawyer. I learned how to deal with a record label exec. And I learned how to negotiate on my own and then go back to Fran and go, yo, I negotiate this much. Go get it. Go close it, you know? And then mm-hmm. she taught me how to close deals. So the business end is, is I think, if we're still talking on the mentorship, I think mentoring the business end is a lot more important. I don't know if I went off topic. If I did, pardon me. No, no, no. You're 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 right on point, man. Yeah. Because, um, like, you know, I always thought one of the. I don't know. I, again, I, it's always weird for me to bring this stuff up because I'm not in the business and I'm not you know an artist. And right. I had to do this stuff myself, but it always kind of feels like this idea that uh, you know the you know the money the you know get you know getting getting paid for your work, which is what you should do. The 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 money in often respects is considered 
by many artists to be the reward. Whereas right. I tend to think of it as more like the fuel that allows you to keep creating. Mm -hmm. And that's the reward, right? Like a lasting career is the reward and the money Absolutely. is just to, to achieve that. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. From no, long, longevity is the key. See, I could have sold, I could have, I could have sold out of the, and I don't mean sell out, but like sold out of the game, meaning I could have made millions of dollars in one shot and never did anything else. So in particular, when I say sell out of the game, meaning that that's it, there's no more, you know, I'm not doing nothing no more. And I made this amount of money and I'm done, but that's, that's what's called the uh, overnight sensation when, and there's plenty I know in this game that came in and are gone. You don't even hear them no more. Mm -hmm. But if you focus on longevity, and, I, and and going back to Francesca Spiro, one key thing she always told me, and she told me this when I was 22, she said, boo-boo, you stick with me, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 40. <laughs> so I'm not a millionaire. I'm not going to lie to you, but, you know, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyway. but she she instilled that in me. That longevity is the key because there's so many like, OK, look, let's talk about hip hop right now. There's so many songs that come out. I've been told statistic wise from executives and record labels, Spotify, and I could be off by a couple of numbers, but Spotify releases 250,000 rap records a day. A day. Mm -hmm. So out of that 250,000, probably one can be a hit so and i'm talking about hip-hop today so hip-hop today is here today gone in about five minutes because there's no longevity to it because everybody's out for the cash because everybody started and i'm, I'm speaking of hip-hop in particular so hip-hop to me has become a get-rich-quick scheme because everyone's like, hey, pfft, I can rap. I can put a few words together that rhyme. And, and then they make their little demos and they make maybe a couple thousand dollars and that's it. You'll never hear from them. But let's back up to a rock Kim, Cool G Rap, KRS-One, Eminem, Big Pun, Fat Joe, producer-wise, Molly Maul, myself, Buck Wild, Diamond D, DJ Premier. We all got longevity. You know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. So longevity, we still here. So many have come and gone. So yeah, longevity is the main thing. If you if you're not focusing on longevity, then just go get your money and be out. That's interesting. I like that. So uh, we talked just just before we started recording today. We, I mentioned that. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I saw you you post something online that that caught my interest, and it wasn't it, it, it was about us. But I don't want it, the part that caught my interest wasn't necessarily about us. What you said right. was, and I want to key on this line. It says publishing yes, is, publishing is like real estate in the music business. Oof, yes, sir. Like that. What does that mean? Well, just so you know, I I, I wrote a book huh. called Publishing is Your Real Estate in Music. And I haven't put it out yet, but it's written. Okay. I was going to say, um, like, I didn't see that. I did my no, homework. It's not out yet. It's not out yet. Actually, when I posted that, right, my friend called me, my child. He said, dude, stop talking about the title and just put the book out. Because <laughs> you know what happened? I wrote the book. And then I back. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm one of those perfectionists. And I'm sure everybody has this in them where they do something and it's not procrastination is that you read it or even with me with production, like I have to be motivated to 
be an artist because technically a producer is an artist. You're an artist. You're a journalist or, or a writer. So you're technically an artist. If you're not feeling like writing, you're not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? So I wrote the book. I sh not I shelved it, but it's on my hard drive and I look at it every now and then. So th the point is, yeah, you can get all this money. But guess what? When you get all that money, if you don't own your publishing, you ain't getting no more money. Me, I own my publishing. So I might not make, you know, top tier when I was making for producing. I was getting $25,000 a beat. So that was my top tier. So now in the economics of music, which I understand very well, I ain't getting twenty five thousand a beat, <laughs> but I own publishing. I own publishing to Drake, all me. I own publishing to all the key records that I've done, which I'm pretty sure you guys know that. So, um, it's the key to own that because that that right there is your real longevity because publishing royalties are forever. Like you could take. You know, when you're no longer here, you know, you can pass that down to your family. And you can't pass quick money down to your family. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying now, yes. Yeah. So what you're doing is, so you, what's, what's interesting is what you're doing here is you're, is you're, and tell me if I'm off base, please. Okay. But it, it sounds as if you're, you're looking at, at the music in two different ways, okay? There's the music that, as your art, right, as your expression, okay? Yes. There's that. There's the artistic value of that, but yes. you're also looking at it like it, and that's where I, this is how I'm interpreting your real estate um, uh, example. You're also looking at it as a financial um, asset or a financial tool, yes, sir. In some way, manipulate in the way that you need to to do so. Yes, you're looking at it. It's, just, it's they're two very distinct things, but they're conjoined. They're 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 this, they're in some ways the same. Yeah, yeah, and and you're 100 percent correct. You're not off base at all. Okay. Uh, because, see, when you write a song or produce a record, I own 50% of that record. I own 50% of the writer's share and 50% of the publishing, which makes 100%, but technically it's 50% on each category. Sure. So I can take that publishing and go do a deal with that publishing. Or I can, I can um, what I do a lot is... Um, beside the music catalog, I've done Jeep commercials. I've done scores in music, scores in TV, scores on uh, TV commercials, um, the Olympics. I did a Nike score. So my catalog gets transferred into money constantly because of those other opportunities. So that's where publishing becomes your real estate because what do you do with real estate? You rent it out. You lease it out or you sell it. So and you build. So mm -hmm. when you when you take if you don't have publishing, like I meet a lot of kids. Um like I, I'm I'm gonna bring this up but I don't wanna go into the subject. I, okay. I'm gonna keep on course though. I okay. own mediafamous.com, which is digital distribution. You know, like just like a distro kid, I own that and I distribute a lot of kids you know, up to iTunes and all that. So I noticed they have no clue what publishing is. They have no clue what writing is. So these kids are missing out on a ton of money because you can move your publishing constantly. 
you can't once that record is out and it's creating streams you're not going to do nothing with that. It's just going to create streams if you don't own your publishing. But if you own your publishing, and let's say Robert De Niro is making a movie, mm-hmm. and he goes, yo, I like that song. I want to license that from you. Well, guess what? That song can get licensed for like $150,000 off of one license, and that's your real estate. So you're you're technically renting them this song for their movie, for 150 grand. So that's where the publishing is the real estate. Well, listen, uh, this has been great. I really enjoyed talking to, uh, to you today just because um, you kind of, kind of bringing me back to some of the, the stuff like uh, I, I don't really, I don't listen to as much, you know, hip hop as I used to, like when I was, right. in, when I was younger in school and things like that. And it's also, it's like, it's a different genre now. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. And it's not what I grew up with. And you know, when you, you kind of latch right. on to the stuff that you originally hear, but some of the names you mentioned, people that you've worked with, it's, it's been an honor talking to you because, um, you know, you, you've, you've, you're, you're like the foundation, right? Like you've really laid the, the, the path that a lot of folks are walking, whether they know it or not. And I right. think that's, that's really, really cool. And, and you really got I a great mindset in all this. So uh, it's been really great. Let me, let me close Same with here. this. What, yes. uh, how do people find you, follow you? Um, what, what's coming up next? Well, you can find me on Instagram, Beats by Domingo, Facebook, Beats by Domingo. Like I like I stated earlier, I own MediaFamous.com. It's a, a digital distribution system network where artists can sign up for nine ninety five a year, unlimited releases. You keep a hundred percent of your royalties. You know I was going to do this plug, dude. That's what I'm asking you for, man. <laughs> so, Come on, you're taking. Uh, you so, so you know you you sign up to MediaFamous nine ninety five. Uh, unlimited releases, unlimited distribution, keep 100% your royalties. We're the number one service across Google rankings. DistroKid got nothing on us. TuneCore <laughs> is another challenge, but DistroKid got nothing on me. And listen, when you deal with MediaFamous.com, you're dealing with a person who's got 34 years in the music business. So I go to bat for the artists, and many artists that have signed up can tell you I've gone to bat for them against iTunes and all that to get their music up there. DistroKid is not doing that. DistroKid charges you fees for things that don't even cost anything. MediaFamous.com, $9.95. No other fee. Check it out. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. That's almost like you practiced it. <laughs> I did. I just winged it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Well, listen, man. Thanks again. I, you know, I hope Appreciate we can you. talk again soon. We'll, we'll put something we can definitely. Whenever you're ready. Whenever All you're right. ready, brother. You're the man. Thank you, man. You've just listened to another episode of the Big Break Podcast. The Big Break is brought to you by Royalty Exchange, an online marketplace matching artists with investors. If you'd like to see if there's an investor interested in your music catalog, simply connect your PRO account to our platform for an instant analysis. Once connected, you can start reviewing offers immediately, or if you like, you can test the marketplace by setting your own asking price. Artists have raised more than $81 million debt-free through the Royalty Exchange marketplace without giving away any of their rights. We provide the financial security you need to achieve full artistic freedom. Visit www.royaltyexchange.com today. I've been your host, Anthony Bruno. Please check the show notes to learn how to follow me or this week's guest. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this show, please drop us a line at press at royaltyexchange.com. Many thanks to our producer, John Jestel, our audio engineer, David Burns, and to the entire songwriter community for continuing to put your hearts and souls into the music we all love. Thanks for listening.
how'd you, how'd you find us? Why you work with us? What you, you know, what did you like? What didn't you like? Like, you know, I actually came across royalty exchange when I was looking for a way to do catalog acquisition, possibly a, a percentage deal for my catalog in exchange for funds to keep capital growing for my business. So royalty exchange popped up on a, on Google or actually might've been an ad somewhere online. I did the upload of the ASCAP statements and everything. It's called Know Your Worth. And I think I knew my worth, but Royalty Exchange knew my worth. <laughs> and and they, they offered certain situations to get done. I wasn't looking for a lot of money um, because, again, I'm aware of how the economics of music is. But Royalty Exchange definitely came through, gave me an excellent deal, was very easy to deal with, Extremely easy to deal with. Uh, being 34 years in the music game, I've dealt with companies that are not easy to deal with. But Royalty Exchange is definitely one of those companies that if you're looking for a fair deal on your royalties and you're not like spaced out thinking you're worth more than what you're really not, let them tell you what you're worth so you know you're worth. And Royalty Exchange is the place to go.